Well, welcome. My name is Nathan Francis, pastor of Hope Community Church, and we are here this evening for the very exciting purpose of ordaining and installing what Brandon Hawks. So we're very excited. Thank you for being here. Our first thing we need to do, some of you, this might be the first ordination installation service you've ever been to. So we need to start so you understand what we're even doing here. So let me give you some explanation. Um, the, um, our, we're in the PCA, and we have a book of church order, a big book that tells us how to do everything. In it, it says this. Ordination is the authoritative admission of one duly called to an office in the church of God, accompanied with prayer and the laying on of hands, in which is proper to add the giving of the right hand of fellowship. So the beginning line there is important. Ordination is the authoritative admission of one duly called. Or more simply put, it's the setting apart of a man for gospel ministry. Brendan has sensed an internal call on his life that he should be a minister, and then externally, many men have examined this man and have externally confirmed that call on his life. We'll explain more of those details later in the service. So a little bit more. This evening is going to feel a little bit like a worship service. We'll sing, we'll pray, we'll have a sermon, and then right in the middle of it, we'll ordain it. So just so you know how this will be laid out. There's another important thing. So tonight, this is not just a Hope Community Church service. Um, that this is actually official business of the Low Country Presbytery. So again, some of you are new to Presbyterianism. You have no idea what even a Presbytery is. So um, all the PCA churches in the Low Country, um, we are not governed independently. I'm not an island that I get to decide things. There's other men who help rule, and then all the churches, all the elders and pastors, come together as a Presbytery. So they're the ones that ordain. So the Presbytery met in July. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, and they, they voted to say, we're sending delegates, we're sending a people here to then make this an official meeting. So just so you know, this, that's what's happening tonight. Because we don't have the right as Hope Community Church to ordain anyone, but the Presbytery does. Now let me introduce you to those men who are the commission from the Presbytery. They also just happen to be our provisional elders. So some of them you've met before and some of you haven't. Um, as I say your name, if you could stand up. Um, teaching elder Michael Walters. Michael Walters is at Church Creek Presbyterian uh, down in West Ashley. And then uh, you have a seat. And then uh, teaching elder John Schley. He's a pastor at Metro North Church over in Goose Creek. Ruling elder Rich Wiley. Uh, he is at East Bridge Presbyterian Church in Mount Pleasant. And then ruling elder Ron Hemingway, who's also at East Bridge Presbyterian. And then obviously lastly is myself, and you know who I am, as the, the chairman of the commission. Um, if you look in the bulletin, well, you can follow along. Um, so I begin us with a call to worship. Uh, this comes from Jeremiah 1.5 and John 15.16. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, this is a great joy to be doing this. But we know that you have even greater joy than us, for you have done what we could not do. Uh, you brought this man into existence. You called him to salvation, and now you've called him to gospel ministry. So, Lord, we're just following along with what you have already planned. Lord, thank you for planning this. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. Thank you that you are sending out. Your son prayed in Matthew 9. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. You told us to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into your harvest field. And so, Lord, we have and you've answered. Thank you for your answer. And Brandon Hawks. 
Father, we do commit this evening to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would carry all of us to sing from our hearts, to pray from our hearts, to sit in the word preach, and to receive it. And then, as we will get to ordain and install Brandon, Lord, we pray, we commit this whole service to you. You are the head of the church. We are delighted to be a part of what you're doing here. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand up, we'll sing.
God's word also assures us of the pardoning grace. When we lean upon the gospel and lean and rest upon Jesus Christ as He's freely offered to us in the gospel, it is no presumption, um, no pride on our part to trust in the gospel, but it's a taking God at His word. This is what He's promised. Uh, and uh, to believe otherwise uh, would be to say that God is a liar. And so he, he assures us in His oath and in His promise of His forgiveness. In 1 Peter 1, 3-4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your tender mercy to us, that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. We thank you, Father, that you have not been silent, but that you have revealed yourself in your word. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us in our sin, but that you, Father, have not spared your own Son, but given him up for us all, that in him we might become uh, the righteousness of God. We thank you for your grace and mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you. Your, for your grace to your church, that you raise up pastors and teachers to equip the church for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that we might all be built up into Jesus Christ, who is the head. Lord, your grace and mercy and patience with us, your perseverance with us and love towards us, your shepherding of us is overwhelming. How great the Father's love for us. And you should be so merciful to us sinners. We praise you and thank you for this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand again and sing with us?
you may be seated again. Well, I now get the distinct honor of introducing Reverend Dr. Tom Hawks. So I have to tell you a little bit about him so you know who he's preaching to. Not in addition to being Brandon's father. I'm a, so he graduated from Gordon College, a graduate of Gordon Conwell Seminary, Free University of Amsterdam, PhD from London School of Theology. He's lectured in seminaries around the world. Currently teaches at Birmingham Theological Seminary doctoral students on church planting. Um, so needless to say, he's done a lot with church planting. Not only is he experienced pastor, he's now planting a new church. You think this is exciting in your 40s. Uh, try this uh, after your 40s. <laughs> and uh, he's planting a church. You can pray for him in Amelia Island in the very early stages of doing that, which is really exciting. Reminds me of Caleb in Scripture. Never too old to serve the Lord, right? Now he had more years on you, so don't think he's that old. Um, anyway, I had the privilege of serving as his intern. One of his interns in Charlotte got to know him. He had a transformational impact on my life and ministry, and still does, as one of my church planning coaches. On a personal note, so you know that he does have um, does things else other than just all the ministry stuff. He likes cycling, sailing, surfing, hiking, and the new one added to the list is pickleball. Um, that's important for ministry out here there in Amelia Island. He's married to Anne. They're the proud grandparents of five. Is that the accurate number now? Okay. For now, it'll soon change uh, in the greater future. Um, four adult sons, one of which is Brandon, and who he gets to preach over this evening. So please, um, come join, and I'll pray over you as you come. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Just how you um, believe in covenants, uh, one generation to the next. And Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to Tom. And, uh, and now, uh, as you have raised up Brandon, you've raised up all four of his sons. Lord, I thank you for just how faithful you are uh, to one generation to the next. And now as he gets to see his grandchildren. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will carry them as he preaches now. And I pray that you would move in me and everyone else here. Uh, Lord, we want to be good soil for your word. Prepare our hearts, even right now. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you would please turn to your scriptures. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find in your bulletin on page 4 tonight's uh, scripture, which is 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Listen now to God's word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit here tonight, that you would soften our hearts and quicken our minds, or that we might what it mean, know what it means in this world that opposes your word to faithfully proclaim the word of God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It is amazing to me how people in this world will believe anything 
but simple biblical truth. Dr. Lana Allison, who was at one point the director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, and did his doctor of ministry at Gordon Conwell, and part of his project was doing a person in the street interview in the streets of Boston. And he asked one simple question Who do you think Jesus is? Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, his video interviews, the most common response was a great moral teacher. Now, the interesting thing about that is the Bible in no way allows you to believe that Jesus is a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis pointed this out. So if you read the Bible, you're a fair reader of the Bible. He must either be Lord, or if he's not the Lord, then he's a liar or a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg. But you can't take away from the Bible that he's just a great moral teacher, the one who claims to be the Son of God, Savior of the world. So the question is, why? Why do people say that about Jesus over and over and over again in this world? He's a great moral teacher. I think the text tonight implies an answer to that, and that is that it pleases their ear. Because when they say that about Jesus, it sounds respectful. He's a great moral teacher, but it doesn't actually require you to do anything with his teaching. He's just another great moral teacher like Gandhi or Buddha or someone like that, and we can put them all on the shelf. We live in a world cannot stand to hear the truth of God from his word. As we look at this text tonight, I want us to ask a very simple question. In the face of that world, the intolerance of this world of the Bible, why should we faithfully proclaim God's word? Why faithfully proclaim God's word? This is not directed just at Brandon as he comes to ordination. This is for everyone who calls himself a believer. Why should all of us faithfully proclaim God's word? Four answers to that question from the text. First, we claim the word faithfully because God desires it. After Paul had told Timothy in chapter 3, uh, 2 Timothy, the power of God's word, he charges him to proclaim it. Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul's charge to Timothy is of the utmost gravity. He says, in front of God, I charge you to proclaim his word. God the Father. In the very presence of God, God is watching you. Even more than that, he goes on, in the presence of Christ. He points out two aspects of the presence of Christ. First, that Christ will return physically to judge the living and the dead. He's not just some distant deity. He will walk again on this earth in a second coming, and he will stand as king and ruler and judge the world. The second aspect of that is when he appears, it will not be in weakness, but with his kingdom, by his appearing and his kingdom. When Jesus first walked on this earth, he came with a kingdom that was invisible. But when he returns, he comes with a kingdom of very much of power and very visible. He walked in humility. He will come in triumph, the victorious king, ruling over all, judging all. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's the Apostle Paul charging younger Timothy is saying, in the presence of God Almighty, in the presence of Christ, I charge you to proclaim his word. Know this, that every word you say, he hears. False teachers may profit in this world, we, as preachers of the gospel, may be ashamed at points of some of the hard things, 
but when Christ returns, every word that we utter will be held account. This is what this is what Paul wants Timothy to realize. You preach before the God of the universe, and Christ who will come to judge the living and the dead in glory and in power. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's a simple message. With God the Father, God the Son looking on, your job is not to please the world. Timothy, you're not to preach for the laughter of the crowd. The smiles of those sitting in front of you, you preach for the smile of Jesus alone. One person. Some years ago, some years ago uh, Pastor Pete Allinson was introducing R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was one of the greatest theologians in the past generation. He was introducing him at a conference in Orlando, and as it happened, he was introducing him because R.C. Sproul attended his church. When Pete Allinson introduced him, one of the things he said was, it's really nerve-wracking to preach in front of R.C. Sproul every Sunday. You're just so worried you'll get something wrong. He's one of the greatest living theologians at that point in my congregation. And R.C. got up and he looked at Pete and he said, Pete, I don't know what you're worried about preaching in front of me. You preach in front of the living God every Sunday. <laughs> Making his point and proving Pete's point at both at the same time. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.9 Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. John Calvin, the great French reformer, comments on that passage, writing, It is therefore sufficient as to the ministers of the word that their tongues be consecrated to God so they may not mix any of their own fictions with his pure doctrine. Our Lord Jesus came in this world to proclaim the word faithful. And so he did. John 12, 49 our Lord said, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. When we teach the Bible, we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus to empower us to faithfully proclaim the word because he desires it. We proclaim the word faithfully because God desires it. Second, we proclaim the word faithfully because God's people depend on it. Paul writes straightforwardly, tells him, proclaim the word. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. To, to preach the word means to proclaim it. Some commentaries make the point that, that really you could translate that as, uh, as herald the word. Not the name herald, but the verb, to herald. To herald the word is to proclaim it. The earnest proclamation of news initiated by God. Preach the word, proclaim it. So we take, the, the, the job of the herald is very simple. We take the message that someone else has given us, the king, the king of the universe, and we restate it. We tell others the message that has been given to us just precisely as it has been given to us. Without adding, as Calvin said, any fiction of our own. We pass on to the very words of God. We don't water it down. We don't change it. We don't push in it. We proclaim it clearly and we proclaim it earnestly. So people will understand this is important. And we don't just proclaim it when it's easy to do so. Be ready in season and out of season. Sometimes you know when you're going to be proclaiming the word of God. But many times 
it comes on you where you realize I need to proclaim God's word right now. I was planning to attend my father-in-law's funeral some years ago. The day before, the pastor who was doing the funeral said, would you please help me with this? And I said, absolutely. It's not just pastors who get called on unexpectedly to proclaim the word of God. We all do. You might be at work someday and suddenly the conversation around the cooler turns to sexual morality. You might be visiting with a friends and then someone starts talking about life after death or playing with your small children. Suddenly they look at you and they say, uh, how big is God? And suddenly, day in and day out, we're thrown into a place where we have to be Bible teachers. We have to rightly exposit and proclaim the word of God. Why is it so important to faithfully proclaim it? Because people depend on the Word of God. This is what the text very, very clearly tells us. Because the instruction is reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The people of God depend on God's Word to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. They depend on it. Reproof and rebuke are very closely related. Reproof is telling someone they did something wrong and rebuke is telling them how bad it was to do it. You, you lied and you lie, you really hurt people. And exhort is uh, more on the encouragement side. Exhort to call them to a better life. You usually tell the truth. It's, it's so powerful when you tell the truth. God's people depend on one another proclaiming the truth to us faithfully. There's a right manner in which we are to do reproof and exhortation. What does it say? With complete patience and teaching. You see, for a reproof, a rebuke to be biblical, it has to come with love and concern. A truth bombing, hey, you're a hopeless jerk, is not proclaiming the work of God, is not speaking the truth in love. As God, our Father, is patient with us, and He has been over and over again with our sins. Not treating us as our sins deserve, but showing us grace and mercy. He calls us also to be patient with one another, with complete patience. We're also to do it with complete teaching. Teaching means we actually impart some knowledge, some information. Maybe it's the reality of sin, the seriousness of sin, the, the way to escape sin from the Word of God. And so we reclaim it with patience and teaching, not anger and shouts. I'm sure that some of us in this congregation tonight would wish this, this passage said, said, when you go, pull out the guns and just give them both barrels. Give them all, all you got. Other, the others of us are looking at this and going, I don't want to reprove or rebuke anybody. I'll do the encouragement. Just that, please. But God calls us to proclaim faithfully His Word, to reprove, rebuke, and, and exhort with complete patience and teaching because God's people depend on it. Our lives, our very lives depend on it. Pastor and author Gordon McDonald tells at a time he was talking with an older Christian man about a, a mutual third friend and then Gordon began demeaning the mutual third friend. Gordon writes, it was sarcastic, it was cynical, it was a put down. My older friend stopped, turned and faced me until his face was right in front of mine with deep, slow words. He said, Gordon, a man who says he loves God would not say a thing like that about a friend. Gordon writes, he could put a knife into my ribs and the pain would not have been any less. But you know something? There have been 10,000 times in the last 20 years that I've been saved from making a jerk of myself. 
when I've been tempted to say something unkind about a brother or sister, I hear my friend's voice saying, Lord, a man who says he loves God would not speak in such a way about a friend. Our Lord Jesus spoke the truth clearly, even hard truths clearly, because he knew that he knew that his disciples' lives depended upon it, and all those who would hear him. Many turned away, in one particular instance in John chapter 6, after a hard teaching, many turned away. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, what about you? Are you going to leave as well? John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, we follow Jesus. And we take up his words of eternal life. And it's that word that we're proclaiming to others because they depend on it. We proclaim God's word truthfully in a world that does not want to hear it because God desires it, because God's people depend on it. And our third point, because most people despise it. We do live in a world, as I've said already, that is, natural, that is naturally opposed to God's word, hostile to it, verse 3. But the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, it's certainly true in the time of Jesus, also true in the time of Paul and Timothy, that as we come closer and closer to the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see this world less and less tolerant of the truth of the word of God. We pastored a church for 25 years in downtown Charlotte. Because we were downtown, it was an old building. Visitors to the city would often think, well, it's a downtown church. It must be a progressive or liberal church. They'd walk in on Sunday morning, sit down, and hear the word being preached. And often it was something that was unpleasant for the world to hear. And I could see faces in the congregation getting redder and redder and more and more angry. And finally, the person could stand up more and stand up in disgust, turn around, and walk out. Virtually every month, not every week, but every month, we had one or more people walking out angry. You want to preach faithfully, some, many, will despise you for it. They will not endure it. So they'll go someplace that pleases them. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Now, the New American Standard translation of that says, but wanting to have their ears tickled. I like that. But why do they want to have their ears tickled? What tickled? What does it say? To suit their own passions. They have cravings, they have desires, and what they're hearing from God's Word isn't pleasing to them, and so they become upset. At church, they talk about sin too much, repentance too much. I want to go someplace that just affirms me for what I am. And so they seek out false teachers and wander into false teaching, verse 4, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know that about our world, don't you? They have wandered off into myths. There's a simple truth, and there are the myths of this world. And the Bible is very clear about this. God made us in His image. That's how we were made. Created by God is in His image. The myth of this world? We were created accidentally, rising from some primordial scoop by the forces of natural selection. The Bible is very clear. God made them male and female. Binary. The myth of this world, there are all kinds of genders, and you can pick your own. The, the word is very clear. There's one name under heaven by which we should be saved. We can be saved. The myth of this world, all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter how you get there. Just go on your own journey. We live 
and a world that is detached from reality. A world that is committed to fiction, to fantasy. So they won't just find one false teacher to teach them lies. It says they'll accumulate for themselves. They'll heap up, like someone might have trading cards, baseball trading cards. They'll accumulate all kinds of false teachers to please themselves, which means, and we need to understand this, there will be many, many false teachers available in this world for them to accumulate. John Calvin, again, commenting on this passage, writes, the madness of men will be so great that they will not be satisfied with a few deceivers, but will desire to have a vast multitude. For as there is an insatiable longing for those things which are unprofitable and destructive, so the world seeks all the methods that it can contrive and imagine for destroying itself. And the devil has always at hand a sufficiently large number of such teachers as the world desires to have. False teaching is a booming growth industry. It has always been. If you want to make mint in this world, just teach something false. Those who are teaching faithfully, writing faithful books about the Bible, they'll sell to a few solid believers. But you make up a story about Jesus, you got a bestseller. Write a book about how he was transgender or was for transgendering, you'll have a New York Times bestseller just instantly. It's not just non-Christians who are intolerant about true teaching. Professing Christians as well object to the Word of God and follow false teachers. They give in to their passions and find the church that affirms those cravings and desires. It seems counterintuitive in a sense. We live in a world that doesn't tolerate biblical truth, sound doctrine. Therefore, we must all the more faithfully proclaim it. Teach the word as God has given it to us. In a world gone crazy, living in fantasy, the need of the hour, the need of every hour has always been the same for simple, faithful Bible teachers. We'll take the word of God and proclaim what is in it to everyone, everywhere, every time. Now, most of the world and many of the, much of the church will say otherwise. They'll say, hey, put your finger in the wind and see where it's blowing and go that way. That's how you build a church. That's how you build a following. Find what's popular and get in front of it. Understand what God wants from us here. He knows that his word comes into this world in the middle of a warfare. And he wants us to proclaim to rise to combat in this world. He knows it will not make you popular. He knows people will object. He knows that many people will hate you if you, if you faithfully proclaim the word of God. And you need to decide in your heart today and every time you take the Bible in hand, am I going to teach what God has given me to teach to my children, my friends, my neighbors, my congregation? Or am I going to try to be a friend of the world? Jesus taught faithfully. He taught faithfully in the midst of combat. You read through the Gospels and you understand this. When he preached, it was warfare. He knew it and he was heavily opposed by the forces of this world, the religious forces of this world, constantly in combat with the Pharisees. One such episode happened in John chapter 8. As he's teaching them, they object to him. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is the crime, the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. The Lord Jesus calls us into combat with himself. and arms us with the word of God and says, here, proclaim it. The world won't love you, but this word is powerful. 
and people will be saved, and Christians will grow as a result of your simple proclamation of my word. He calls us through this text to rally to the side, to the side of Jesus, where we find in his way, in his steps, the courage that he gives us to face a hostile word, a hostile world with this word. We proclaim the word. God desires its people to put on many spies. And finally, proclaim the word faithfully because your ministry demands. And again, I'm not just saying for the pastors and elders here, for all of us called to follow Jesus Christ, your ministry demands it. Paul concludes this little section with a charge to Timothy again, verse 5. As for you, always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is saying, in fact, the world may go crazy around you, it will fight against you and battle against you, but you, O oh man of God, be sober minded. Now, when he says that, of course, he means don't be drunk. Don't lose your mind with drugs. But he means more than that, sober minded here. The idea, the idea of being sober minded is that he's always ready for combat. Silly, and not silly, but serious. Judging the moment to know, is this the moment where I should proclaim the word of God? And what is his calling? What is it to do? He's a minister of the gospel. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the, the gift of God's grace. Paul says, fulfill your ministry. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Absolutely, Timothy, expect to be hated. They hated Jesus, they hated me, they will hate you too. Don't even try to avoid suffering. The only way to do that is to be unfaithful to me and to my word. Don't You don't want that. Prepare for attacks. Then he says, do the work of an evangelist. It's an interesting charge. He seems to imply that perhaps Timothy wasn't gifted as an evangelist. Yet there's the call to every minister of the gospel, to everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. We are called to do the work of an evangelist. What's the work of an evangelist? You proclaim the word of God, the gospel, to those who are not believers. To be faithful in ministry, a faithful follower of Jesus, it's not enough just to teach Christians, as good as that is. We're also called to proclaim the gospel to those who do not know. Be sober-minded. Ready to discern the, the moment when trying to proclaim the God, that the God of all mercy, which will lead you to suffering that you need to endure, proclaim the word in the midst of it, you need to tell not just Christians, but non-Christians who may despise it, the Word of God. Proclaim the Word faithfully. Again, this Word is not just for Timothy, not just for Brandon as he comes to be ordained today. It is meant for all of God's people. The charge to us, go make disciples of all nations, is to everyone who follows Jesus. And the tool that we use to make disciples, one of the primary tools we're given, is God's Word. The simple teaching and proclamation of the Word of God. Jesus' ministry demanded that he preach the truth. John 18, 37. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus calls us to his side, to bear witness to the truth, empowered by him, encouraged by him, equipped by him, given the Holy Spirit by him. I want you to understand, as we hear this word from our Lord today, he does not, in giving us the Word of God, mean to destroy our lives. 
He means to set us free. He means to set us free from a, a life that is just spent uselessly in this world, pursuing our own pleasures, and to find and set a life of meaning and purpose. Because it is with the Word of God in your hand that you can enter the lives of other people and see them changed. People getting saved, people growing in Christ. And the, the Word of God is powerful to do that. Where you are not, the Word of God is powerful to do that. And He means to have you the joy that He had as well. In the very midst of that combine and warfare, seeing those one to Him and those disciples for Him and following after Him. We're called every Christian to faithfully proclaim the Word of God. God desires it. God's people depend on it, but the world may despise it. Our ministry demands it. What does that mean for us? Parents, parents, the world will lie to your children. I think you know that. They will lie over and over and over again from every different source and angle. You teach them God's Word. And more than your church, more than your Sunday school, more than your pastor, it is beholden on you to proclaim God's Word faithfully to your children. Pastors and elders and Sunday school teachers, anyone who picks up a Bible to proclaim it, Teach your students that this very word of God, use it. God will use it to save and to transform and to heal in ways that you cannot. The word is powerful. We have friends, Christians and non-Christians, all of whom need to hear the word of God. Perhaps a reproof, a rebuke, some exhortation, some encouragement. Let's proclaim faithfully with him. Jesus proclaiming the truth of his gospel. He said to us in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I mentioned Dr. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian this past uh, century. He became a Christian in college. He tells the story of his conversion. He'd gone to college on a football scholarship, very much a non-believer. He and his roommate were going out to hit the bars, going out for a drink. He realized he'd run out of cigarettes, so he went back into the dorm to get, a, to get a pack of luckies. And there in the dorm, he ran into the captain of the football team that asked if he was roommate. They wanted to sit and chat, and they sat down and started talking. The captain told R.C. about Jesus. R.C. writes, I've never heard anything like it. I was just absorbed. He sat there for two or three hours. He didn't give a traditional evangelism talk to me. He just kept talking to me about the wisdom of the Word of God. He quoted Ecclesiastes 11.3, which says, Whether a tree falls to the south or the north, from the place where it falls, there it will lie. I saw myself as a log that was rotting in the woods and it was not going anywhere. When I left that guy's table, I went up to my room, and in my room by myself in the dark, I got on my knees and cried out to God to forgive me. R.C. Sproul became a Christian, humanly speaking, because of the faithful proclamation of the Word of God by his football team, Captain. One faithful proclamation. Dr. Sproul went on to touch the lives of thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people around this globe, faithfully proclaiming the Word of God. R.C. comments on the oddity of that particular verse. He says, I just feel certain I'm the only person in church history that was converted by that verse. God, God just took that verse and stuck, stuck, struck my soul with it. Friends, brothers and sisters, let us faithfully proclaim the word of God. I wonder, I wonder tonight who needs to hear the word from you faithfully proclaimed. 
someone in your family, a friend, a co-worker, someone back in your hometown. May you follow Jesus and faithfully proclaim his gospel to all. Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Without it, we would stumble blind in this world, but you have given us a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, and leads us every time without fail back to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for how well and surely you proclaimed that the truth you were given. Lord, would you move in our hearts tonight, determined by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we too would follow in your footsteps, equipped and encouraged, held by you each step of the way, that we too might faithfully proclaim your word. In your name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. explain a little bit of the process that Brandon's been through to bring him to this point. So, uh, in our denomination, there is quite a lengthy process. You'll understand in just a moment what that process looks like. So, it began with a master's degree, um, a master's of divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary. It's an excellent seminary. I can vouch for it as an alumni myself. And after that, well, there he studied the languages, Greek and Hebrew, that the Bible's written in. Uh, after that point, he completed an internship while doing that in Charlotte at, at a church there. Um, then he came here, and he's completed many lengthy uh, written exams. And here are the exams on experiential religion, so his relationship with God, especially his personal character and family management, based on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. On Bible content of the Old and New Testament, does he know his Bible? Theology. The sacraments, church history, the history of the Presbyterian Church in America, and the principles and rules of government and discipline of our church. He submitted two substantial papers, a theological paper and an exegetical paper. I'm bringing back memories. He's having flashbacks right now. Let's say all this. A Presbyterian committee, after reading all of this work, uh, which Church Wiley was on, I believe, um, then they uh, orally examined him for several hours uh, to make sure he really knew this stuff, not only in writing, but verbally. Then on July 23rd, um, he stood before our entire presbytery, and then he preached to us, and then he got examined again by the entire presbytery. Any man could ask any question. And then after all this, the presbytery unanimously voted that he had satisfactorily completed all these requirements. That is the process that he has gone through to come to this day. Now you might ask, why all this work? That's a legitimate question. I have a question for you. Who here is interested in going to a surgeon who is self-taught? Don't worry, he's watched lots of good YouTube videos. You are in safe hands. No, of course not. You are one that actually went to med school and actually passed and actually did a good residency and then actually passed his medical board exams. Correct? Absolutely. And so that was just for your human body. How long do you have that thing? Maybe 70, 100 years at best. And so this man, your desires to be a surgeon of the soul. How long are you going to have your soul? 
Eternity. Eternity. Do you really want a surgeon of the soul who is self-taught with YouTube videos? Of course not. And so our denomination takes this process very seriously because we take eternity very seriously and we take your souls very seriously. And so here we are at this point. At this point, I'd like to invite Brandon up. As he comes, a few more things. Uh, Brandon, the vows you're making this evening are before God. You know, in a, in a wedding, we tell the bride and groom, you need to take seriously what you're doing. The vows you're making now are not only before these people, but before the living God. And so I remind you of the same, God. But I also have encouragement for you. Over the past year at Hope Community Church, we've seen a few things. We've seen your love for the Lord. We've seen your love for the people of God, the love for the lost. Your giftedness to preach and teach. We've all sat under your preaching and been blessed by it. Your excellent character, your humility and courage. Your giftedness to personally disciple men and grow in the faith. I could say much, much more, but suffice to say, without reservation, we have seen God's call on your life. So it's my honor to ask you these seven questions to set your life apart for gospel ministry. Brandon, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of the church as containing the system of doctrines taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of the system of doctrine, you will on your own initiative make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordinary vow? I do. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America? in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity. I do. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know, in your own heart, to seek the office of, holy, of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? Yes. Do you promise to be zealous and to faithful and be faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and the unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account. And lastly, do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life, and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock which God shall make you overseer. So now having completed and answered all those questions in the affirmative, then we now come to the second part, which is to install you. So now you're set apart for the rest of your life, the gospel ministry, but now we need to install you to be the assistant pastor of a specific church, namely Hope Community Church. We're very grateful for this. So three questions for you. Brandon, are you now willing to serve this congregation as their assistant pastor, agreeable to your declaration and accepting its call? Yes. Do you conscientiously believe and declare, as far as you know your own heart, 
that in taking upon you this charge, you are influenced by a sincere desire to promote the glory of God and the good of His church? Yes. And lastly, do you solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, you will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties of an assistant pastor to this congregation and will be careful to maintain a deployment in all aspects, becoming a minister of the gospel of Christ, agreeable to your ordination engagements. I do. I mean, I'd like to invite up the session of Hope Community Church. If you can just step back there, and then if you can all join me right here. Am I right here? So just to remind you, these men all have their own churches, but in their free time, uh, they dedicate to our church. And so we're very grateful over the past several years. Uh, they have ruled that I've made no significant decision without these men all voting. And so we're very thankful. So this is a significant decision you're now making. I have four questions for you. Do you, this session, continue to profess your readiness to receive Brandon Hawks, whom you have called to be assistant pastor of Hope Community Church? Yes. And because we, we're men of rules, you have to raise your right hand so we know you mean it. Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love? Yes. Do you promise to... Wait, we're rule keepers here. Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for Hope Community Church's instruction and spiritual edification? Yes, we do. Do you engage to continue to him while he is assistant pastor of Hope Community Church that competent worldly maintenance which you have promised and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. Yes, we do. But now I'd like to invite anyone else who's here today who's an ordained minister of the gospel, either in the PCA or any other sister church. I'd like to invite you up now. We're going to lay our hands on Brandon and pray over him as we set him apart. And as those men come, I'm going to read to you Acts 13, 2 and 3. It says this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So this is a very biblical practice that's been being done for 2,000 years. And so we follow suit. So, Brandon, if you'll kneel, we'll all gather around you. And um, I'll start, and then um, we'll have a time anyone else that would like to pray can pray. And then a time if you'll close at the end. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have not stopped sending servants. Men who are willing to, to give up lives and income they could have made much more money doing other things uh, for worldly fame, uh, but men who feel called and who have been externally called and confirmed. Lord, thank you for bringing talks and that you have sent them apart for this work. And Lord, just as they did, just like this with average men laying hands on average men, but Lord, you did great things to Barnabas, you saw. And Lord, we're confident that you will do the same thing with you. Lord, we commit our brothers to your care. Lord, there will be trials ahead. There will be hard times and easy times, glorious times, and miserable suffering. But Lord, we pray that in all of them, that you would carry him, you would hold him close, you would sustain him, that you would bind himself to Christ over and over and over again. Lord, we know that you can do this. You've done this 
faithful in your ministers throughout history. We pray you do it again in the life of Diana Fox. Lord, uh, draw this man, Brandon, closer to yourself. An intimate relationship that grows deeper with every day with Christ Himself. Use him, Father, as as your will to, as Tom said, to proclaim the gospel in a bold fashion because it is the inerrant word of God. We'll draw him closer to, so that you are his encouragement daily. Father, as Brandon and Dean ordained, we, we throw out words like exegesis and church history and all these things that we have to go through. And they are important, Father. And yet when it comes down to ordination, it's often simply about two things. Loving God and loving people. Father, we pray that you would be with him to continue to grow his walk with you. May he always be one who knits his heart back to you. We pray in those times, Father, that uh, when he when he strays, when he is confused and frustrated, when Life seems to be difficult, Father, that you would steady his heart by your spirit and draw him back to his first love again. We pray for his wife, Father, that she would help him to have clarity as he processes the difficulties of ministry, the difficulties of continuing to walk faithfully with you, Father. Be with her to give her uh, for her to give him the wise counsel. And Father, as he works uh, in the sheep business, which is what we are in. We know, Father, that sheep stray, sheep bite, sheep fight. Father, give him patience. When he's poured his heart and his life into someone who will turn and walk away from the faith, Father, may he not lose heart. May he be drawn back again to his purpose of loving you. Be with him, Father. Walk with him. Lift him up in the good times and the difficult times. We ask this in Jesus' name. Gracious God and Father, thank you for Brandon. We are here not so much to ordain Brandon, but it's to recognize that you are ordaining Brandon. To recognize your call on his life. And if it were not you, Lord, we should certainly fear to do this. Lord, we thank you that you do raise up ministers for your church, the blessing to your church. And Lord, we pray that Brandon would feel your divine calling him in a special way even now that we lay hands upon him. That he would know this is the work of the Almighty God. Even as you, Lord, have intervened into all of our fallen lives and brought us to saving knowledge of you, those who know you, uh, Lord, we thank you that you have done this additional intervention to Brandon's life to call him to uh, full-time ministry. To raise him up for that. And uh, Lord, we pray that your word would speak powerfully through him, that, that Brandon might have the joy of seeing the power of your word at work through him. Many times that will be hidden from him, we know. But Lord, would you give him that encouragement to see how your word so feeds your flock, so corrects those who are in need of correction, but so encourages those who are downcast and discouraged. And Lord, we pray for Brandon himself, that you would feed him through his own words. That you would not muzzle this ox while he treads out the grain, but that you would feed him and nourish his soul, even as he does the work of the ministry. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage Brandon through the difficulties. As we think of even Paul 
being so discouraged, even to the point of despairing of life itself, where we know that it, uh, discouragement is no stranger to those who are in the ministry. And we pray for Brandon to when those moments of discouragement come, that you would bear him up and strengthen him. That he would know that you always lead us in triumphal procession to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that Brandon might indeed be the fragrance of the knowledge of the glory of God in the, in, in the face of Jesus Christ to, to all who hear uh, the proclamation of the gospel. To some it will be the stench of death. But Lord, to some it will be the fragrance of life. We pray that he might witness this reality through his ministry. And Lord, we pray for sustenance and sustaining for not only for Brandon, but also for his family, as much of the challenges of the family and the brunt of, of that suffering, they will also bear. Lord, would you bear them up and strengthen them to these things? We ask your, by this grace through your Holy Spirit that you would be at work in Brandon these things. Lord, I thank you for my brother. Thank you for his partnership in the gospel of Jesus. I thank you for this proclamation of your word. And God, I pray that you protect his marriage, protect his ministry. God, would you provide for him in ways that he knows that you are his provider. And God, would you sense your power and your presence in his life and in his home. God, I just thank you. I thank you for the days ahead, the years ahead, when we will see you at work in him and through it. And may keep his eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. He's the Savior and He's the author and the perfecter of His God, every day I pray that He would love you more and more. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you created Brent. Thank you, Father, that you redeemed him. We thank you, Father, that now you have called him. As our brother has prayed, it's not meant to have called him to this gospel ministry, but it is your call that you recognize. Now we ask, Father, that you would pour out your love into his heart by the Holy Spirit that you have given him. That every day of his life he would assure that love one for him by the word of the Savior Jesus Christ. Pour out your love into his heart, Lord, so that every time he proclaims the word, the people sitting before him see the loving face of their father, the face of their pastor. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower him. Let him believe the Apostle Paul who said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. May you, Holy Spirit, empower him every time he teaches the word. You, Lord Jesus, would you walk with Brandon? Would you be with him? Hold him close to your heart. Every year you give him to serve you, Lord Jesus. Be with him as his Lord, his Savior, companion, and friend. For this all this we ask in your name, Jesus, the name of all this. Say Amen. 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 Actually, let's take for a second. You can write in the fellowship if you witness in this gospel word. Clap again in a second. I now pronounce and declare that Reverend Brandon Abernathy Hawks has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed assistant pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the Word of God and according to the Constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America. And that as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Pretty exciting, huh? Next up, we get to have two charges. So first, uh, here Rich Wiley is going to speak to the minister, and then I'll speak to all of you. Good evening. Um, blessings and encouragement from East Bridge Presbyterian Church in Mount Pleasant, where I worship, and Ron Hemingway, a fellow elder, as well. It's a privilege, indeed, to be here with you all on such a special occasion where God has called Brandon to be set apart, ordained, and installed as the assistant pastor at Hope Community Church. This is indeed a special day. So I have a charge to Brandon as a newly ordained and installed minister of the gospel. We'll start by looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. This says, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And the Lord said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then dropping down, that's verses 1 to 3, dropping down to verses 17 to 20 in chapter 10 of Luke. It says, The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said unto them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So I want to draw three thoughts or conclusions from that, Brandon, uh, sharing with that with you as a charge. The first is this, and we all heard it. Jesus said, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as a lamb in the midst of wolves. So the obvious application here is that what you are choosing to do and what you have been set apart to do is hard. It is hard work. But I don't want you to miss in verse 17 that the 72 returned not downcast, but with great joy. As a fellow elder, I want to tell you that the job is hard. But it is fun. And it is fulfilling. There's joy for you in being a pastor. When you get to walk alongside people through their entire lives, and you don't know what the time is that you've been given to do that, but walking with people as a pastor and sharing with them in their lives, the good news of the gospel is definitely joyful and fulfilling work. I want you to hear that. Second, thought that comes from Luke chapter 10 is that when the 72 returned 
they've said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This feels to me a little bit like locker room chat. They come back in, Jesus sort of calls them together, and they seem pretty excited. They're kind of high-fiving each other. And Jesus says, at least I can't help but believe this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That the disciples' appropriate behavior and response would have been one of humility instead of high-fiving. In Matthew 11, verse 25, Jesus says in the presence of his disciples, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I charge you to remain humble, even like a little child, always remembering what Christ has done for you. There was a pastor who walked into a room of budding theologians and he said to them, I'm going to read you ten names and when you recognize one of these names, raise your hand. So he read the ten names. Not one of these young men had heard of any of them. The point that the, the pastor was making was that it's not important who they are, but let me tell you what each one of them accomplished. And it was amazing the work they'd done for the kingdom, and yet no one had ever heard of them. So at this point, it's as if the pastor is saying to be a minister is to say, I'm okay that nobody knows who I am. And in some way, Jesus is saying in Luke 10 to the 72 when they came back saying, look at this that we did, that as if Jesus was saying, guys, it's great that you were able to do that. Really good for you. But if you want to be my follower and you want to be my disciple for the rest of your life, you've got to be okay that people don't know that your name was great is great. And you got to be okay that people don't know who you are and they certainly are not going to make a name for you. The blessing is not in Brandon Hawks. The blessing is in Brandon Hawks presenting the message, the inerrant word of God. Another thing I want to share with you, Brandon, to this point is when they said, look at all the things that we've done, Jesus looked at them, of course, and said, don't rejoice in these things because your name is written in heaven. And I take that to mean that Jesus is saying, that's great, the ministry that you're doing, Brandon, and that you will do. But I need you to know, Brandon, that I care about you. And I care about your heart. And in some way, you need to hear me say that ministry as a pastor is always going to be about what God can do through you. That's very important. But you need to know that God is also interested in you and in drawing you closer to himself day by day. Be encouraged by the gospel in your life every day. And don't always, Brandon, uh, simply take the gospel 
and present it to others and leave yourself void. Look in the mirror every morning. Preach that gospel to yourself because it's meant for you too. And then purposely carry that good news to other people. And the last thing that I want to say about this, and maybe it's the most important, is that when the 72 said, look at all the things we've done, and Jesus said, don't rejoice in those things, is that Christ wants you to remember this, the good news of the Gospel is not primarily what we do for God. The good news is what God has done for us. Don't ever stop saying that. The good news that we carry as all of us in this room, but Brandon, you today, as jars of clay, is that God has done something for me. God has something done something for us as saints, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, ransomed by His work on the cross. And I am desperate to tell you that. So Brandon, find joy and fulfillment in your calling as a pastor. Be okay that your name is not great. Uh, but that you are cherished by the Lord Jesus as His follower, as His disciple. And consider the beauty of the Gospel in your life every morning. And don't let the sun go down that you haven't shared that joy with your God. Scriptures summarize all this. In fact, it's in the written in the bulletin there on the right-hand side of page 4. This scripture verse from 1 Peter chapter 5, um, verses 2 to 4 and verse 2 is written in your bulletin, summarizes my charge to you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And finally, in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 15, after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet, he said, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Brandon, wash the feet of those you've been called to serve in all humility, because that's what Christ Jesus has done for you in His abundant grace and mercy. As a remembrance of today, I have a gift for you that I'd like for you to put in your office. It will remind you daily of what you've been called to do. Wash these people's feet. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Rich.
So now I, I will charge both elders, but especially you, the congregation. Now if you look in that same place in your bulletin, you'll see in that bottom right corner, Hebrews 13, 17, one important verse that I want to leave you with. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch of your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's a number of lines in there. Let me just explain them briefly. The first one, we naturally chafe against. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Those are two words no one likes. Obey and submit. So we've just a few moments ago ordained and installed him. And so what is the Lord will for us? There it is. That we would obey and submit to our leaders. You notice it's not singular though, right? It didn't say leader, right? I've not been your leader, right? We believe in the plurality of leadership. We see this in Scripture. This is one of many places that it is a plurality. So these men have ruled, and so now there's another. One that you actually get to see every Sunday, as these men you don't get to see every Sunday. So we're very grateful for you, but we're excited that God has given one more that we need to submit and obey. So, but then look, it says, for the reason that you should do this is they are keeping watch of your souls, they're keeping watch of your souls. They're, we are commanded to keep watch over you. So Brandon has invested thousands of hours to bring him to this point. You heard the whole list of things. So that he could accept this call on his life. And God desires that you allow him to do the very thing that he is just committed to do. I hope that makes sense. He's been called by God to keep watch over you. So many of you do this. You pay a babysitter. When you pay a babysitter... What do you say to your children before you walk out the door? You turn to your little children and you say, I want you to obey this babysitter. We're paying good money for this person to keep you out of trouble, keep you alive until we get back. Right? Don't you say that? And so God is saying to you, hey, I called this man to be one of your pastors. Would you please listen to him? He must give, he's watching over your souls. But then look at the next line. As those who must give an account... God, this is, this is scary for him, so you should pay attention. God requires Brandon and every other pastor to give an account for your souls. God takes seriously the role of pastors and elders. So you should too, if God's going to take this seriously. He must give an account for you. There's one thing that fights against this. It is our, we talked about this this morning, our pride. Our pride just fights right against this. We're, we're adults here. We don't need anyone telling us how to, what God requires of us, what He forbids. Right? Wrong. God knows this. That's why He gave us this verse. He told you, you need to submit and obey because it is not our nature. It's just not our nature. No one wants to do that. Your kids don't want to do that. That's why you tell them before you walk out the door to go out for a date. God has placed everyone under authority. Everyone under authority. This is one of the reasons we take church membership so seriously. How is Brandon and I, or any pastor, going to have any idea who he's actually going to give an account for? Well, it's those people that have committed to that church. So, we love all of you. We pray for all of you who attend Hope Community Church. But we understand that God will hold us accountable for those who have actually joined themselves and submitted to that authority. That's one of the reasons we take it so seriously. Look at the next line. I love this. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. God's saying, don't give them a hard time. Right? Brandon just vowed, if you heard, he vowed this, to solemnly promise that by the assistance of the grace of God, he will endeavor faithfully to discharge all the duties 
of an assistant pastor of this congregation. Please, don't make him do that with groaning. He just promised he's going to fulfill what he's promised to God to do. And God's saying, please don't make him do that with groaning. Let it be a joy. Okay, what does this look like practically? Well, if Brandon says, hey, I'd love to come over to your house and sit down with you and your spouse, let him. And shoot straight with him. He says, how are you doing spiritually? Give him a real answer. And then listen to what he has to say as godly counsel. If he says to you, I'm concerned about this or that in your life, listen to him. He means for your good. Not with groaning, but with joy. He desires to keep watch for your souls. Now, of course, you know, Brandon's a sinner, like I am. Why would you listen to a sinner? Because that's all God's got to work with. Right? Unless he's going to send angels down. But God is ordained to do it through average men. He's always done it this way. It is God you are obeying. Scripture makes this clear over and over. When you submit to an authority, you are submitting to God. Even as you submit to a fallen man. Okay, look at the last line of it. For that would be of no advantage to you to do with groaning. Right? It's, it's to your advantage to allow Brandon to do what God called him to do in your life. It is for your benefit. Uh, there's this story, many of you have probably heard this, but it goes like this. There's a man who lived in his house and there was a flood. The flood waters are, are rising and a boat comes down his street and it passes his window and he looks at the man. The men say, hey, this might be your last chance. Get in this boat or you might die. He says, no, no, go on. I've prayed God will deliver. God's going to take care of me. It's like, all right, whatever. And they paddle on down the street. Well, the floodwaters continue to rise until the man's down on his roof. A helicopter comes, drops a rope to the man. He waves him up. No, no, no. God's going to, I've prayed God's going to take care of me. Well, finally, the man drowns. He shows up in heaven. And he says to God, God, what's the deal? And God says to him, no, what's the deal? I sent you a boat and a helicopter. Well, why didn't you take him? God has sent you Brandon. He's a very average man. Do not wait for angels or some other, some other word in the sky. God is going to send average men, and you need to listen to them. So as this verse says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this one verse that is so crystal clear. Lord, we are grateful for all the time that Brandon has invested in setting his life apart for gospel ministry. And Lord, I pray now for all that are here, that are a part of Hope Community Church, and those who are not, Lord, as they go back to their other churches, Lord, may they take this verse and all that they've heard here tonight May it bless them. You had purpose here tonight, Lord, in all of our lives. I don't know what it is, but you do. So, Lord, I pray that you would accomplish your purpose. Right before we started, it poured down rain. You sent that rain, and that rain had no choice but to water the earth. And making it bud and flourish, yield seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. So is your word. You said this in Isaiah. It goes out from your mouth and accomplishes what you desire, achieves the purpose for which you sent it. So, Lord, we believe that. Much word has been said of you, and we've, we've tried to explain it, but your word itself is powerful. I pray that it would accomplish in all of our lives what you intend, Lord, 
For we're all serving you. This is not about Hope Community Church. It's not even about Brandon. You are the head here. Though you are unseen, you are present. And you are working in our lives and in this world. And we desire to let you have your way, Father. We pray that you would in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And then would you please stand and sing, Great is thy faithfulness. Yes. 
Thank you so much for being here. Uh, from near and far, that means the world to me. And I do not take this lightly, let me tell you. Thanks to everyone who had a role in this. I want to especially thank my wife, my parents, and my Lord, Jesus, who saved me. Now go with this benediction. This is God's blessing for you, His people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Maybe appropriate to applaud again.